Happy Monday and welcome to Not Boring. If you're in the U.S., happy President's Day. That was the song Married Life from the movie Up, and we chose it because I keep seeing this analogy in my head of the biggest tech companies in the world, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, kind of pulling up all of the valuations of younger startups and less massive public tech companies. So without further ado, let's get to it. Dreams all the way up. It feels like a bubble, but it's not. Tech is not in a bubble, even if it feels like it is. Compared to the biggest tech companies, startups and smaller public companies may actually be undervalued. In his classic A Random Walk Down Wall Street, Burton Malkiel wrote, a blindfolded monkey throwing darts at a newspaper's financial pages could select a portfolio that would do just as well as one carefully selected by experts. Were the Princeton economist writing an updated version today, he might say, a blindfolded monkey throwing darts at Robinhood could select a tech stock that would have doubled over the past year. And it's not just public tech stocks. Private market tech company valuations have soared too, with companies raising seed rounds at $20 million pre-revenue, Series A's at valuations in the hundreds of millions of dollars, Series B's worth a billion. Robinhood faced an existential crisis two weeks ago and then raised $3.4 billion in less time than it takes me to invoice a sponsor with Bill.com. It's as if every venture capitalist has become Masayoshi-san. It feels like frothiness that would make a barista jealous. But what if I told you that startups aren't overvalued today, that they've actually been undervalued for the past decade and are just catching up? Let's turn it over to Sir Roger Bannister to explain. The four-minute mile and the market. In the late 1860s, when the mile record stood at 436, runners around the world started seriously attempting to break the four-minute barrier. Three different Walters in a row traded the record, bringing it down below 420 by the mid-1880s. Between 1942 and 1945, two Swedes, Gunder Hag and Arne Andersen, traded the record four times, driving it down from 406.2 to 401.4, a nearly five-second improvement in just three years. And then, nothing. The record stood unimproved for the next nine years, until Roger Bannister stepped up to the starting line at Ifley Road Sports Ground in Oxford and I put a video in the post. It's worth watching. It's really cool to see. Bannister took two seconds off the record, completing his mile in three minutes, 59.4 seconds, and becoming the first person in history to break the four-minute mile. His record stood for 46 days. John Landy smashed it with a 3.58. A year later, three runners broke the four-minute mile in the same race, and today, over 1,500 people have run a competitive mile in under four minutes. Hickam El Garouge holds the world record with a 343.13 that he ran in 1999. The moral of the story here is that there wasn't necessarily anything physical keeping humans from breaking four minutes. It was mental. When people saw it could be done, they just kind of did it. Bannister, through extraordinary performance, eliminated a mental barrier, and afterwards, other great but not all-time exceptional runners followed his lead. In the public markets in the 2010s, the $1 trillion market cap was the four-minute mile. As someone who owned Apple stock and options earlier in the decade, I can tell you how frustrating it was that the stock seemed to trade at a discount, like a sub-10 PE ratio, simply because it was so big, despite insane profitability and growth. $1 trillion felt like a restraining wall. Then, on August 2, 2018, an extraordinary company broke another mental barrier when Apple became the first U.S. company to crack the $1 trillion market cap. What happened next wasn't quite the immediate flood that Bannister unleashed, 
But within 16 months, by January 2020, three more companies, Microsoft, then Amazon, then Google, had broken $1 trillion. FAMG had been undervalued across the board. And FAMG is, again, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. Since Apple couldn't break $1 trillion for psychological reasons, and it was clear that the other four weren't as valuable as Apple, they had to be worth some discount to Apple's artificially low market cap. Apple took the governor off, and today, after a wild tech-friendly pandemic and zero interest rate policy drove stocks higher, the FAM market caps are Apple at $2.273 trillion, Microsoft at $1.8 trillion, Amazon at $1.6 trillion, Google at $1.4 trillion, and Facebook at $770 billion. If certain parts of the markets feel bubbly, these companies actually don't. They're category-defining companies that continue to grow and innovate at a faster clip than mega caps ever have before. And they trade a very reasonable next 12 months EV to EBITDA multiples. Apple's at 22x, Microsoft is at 24.8, Amazon at 22.4, Google at 15.4, and Facebook at 13.1. And this is one of the reasons that I'm long Facebook. That's not bubbly. Poking fun at the bubble talk, Michael Batnick tweeted a chart that looks like a bubble, but it's actually Amazon's revenue, not its market cap. Insane. If Amazon keeps up that pace, $1.6 trillion will seem cheap within half a decade, which will make other numbers that seem big today seem smaller. The bar will keep getting higher. The market caps of the FAMG companies are the most important numbers in the market because consciously or not, investors are pegging their private and public tech company investments against them. Price to FAMG ratio. Instead of price to sales or price to earnings, high potential tech companies are subconsciously being valued on price to FAMGA, and it's not crazy. Now, if I'm wrong, and we actually are in a bubble that's about to pop, this is the statement that's going to get me roasted. But let me explain. Traditionally, companies are valued based on a multiple of their earnings or profits per share or their PE ratio, or if they're earlier in their journey and growing fast but still unprofitable, on a multiple of their revenue, price to sales or a free cash flow multiple or some other financial metric. But today, in both private and public markets, with PE ratios and price to sales at uselessly high levels, it seems like companies are being valued on a rough probability that they can become as big as the biggest companies, which are themselves more valuable than ever before. With the $1 trillion barrier broken and $2 trillion taken down within a year of that, there's no more psychological ceiling. That's where the seemingly crazy prices are coming from. Now, of course, this kind of valuation takes a healthy do dose of optimism, and this market is ripe for dreaming, for reasons we've covered before. There's tech strength, which is tech companies are actually benefiting from COVID as more activity and commerce moves online. There's more cash and envy. U.S. personal saving rates doubled from 7.3% to 14.1% over the past year, and people are seeing their friends get rich and want to put their own savings to work. The Fed. The Fed is printing money and providing a backstop that makes risky assets less risky. Rates are at all-time lows, which means money is cheap and investors are turning to equities and alternative assets, including venture, for yield. And it also means that discount rates are low. Discount rates are how investors figure out what future cash flows are worth today. We're not there, but for illustrative purposes, a discount rate of zero would mean that an investor values $1 billion generated in 2031 as much as $1 billion generated today. In a structurally risk-on environment, people aren't looking for reasons not to invest, or God forbid, to short. We've seen what happened to the GameStop shorts, and the call I've gotten most comically wrong is being short bill.com. They're looking for justifications to invest because they need to put their money to work and they don't want to miss out on the next $100 billion or $1 trillion company, or even $2 trillion company. And they're not wrong. 
In fact, relative to the biggest tech companies, the best startups and smaller cap tech companies are still undervalued compared to a decade ago. Here's my logic. FAMCA stocks seem, seem to be reasonably priced and good anchors off of which everything else is pegged. FAMG, particularly Amazon and Facebook market caps, have actually grown faster than startup and non-FAMG public tech valuations. Startup and non-FAMG valuation growth is just starting to catch up to FAMG growth of the past year. I, just for the record, this is not in the post, but for the record, really hate this acronym. It's really tough to say. Whenever I say FAMG, picture F-A-A-M-G. Startups and smaller cap tech companies are being valued based on a probability that they can become as big as the FAMGA companies, or the biggest companies in their verticals. And even at the same probability, they should be worth 5 to 15 times as much as they were a decade ago, because the ceiling has risen that much. In other words, if you think that FAMGA are reasonably valued, and you think that the probability of newer companies coming in and eventually growing as big as the biggest tech companies is about the same as it was a decade ago, Startups and smaller cap tech companies are actually fairly valued or even undervalued today. To illustrate, let's keep it simple and look at startup data using post money valuation data on US startups from PitchBook. In the post, and you should really go check it out at notboring.co, which is a new domain, no big deal, but in the post, there's a bunch of charts that are worth checking out. This one is a chart of the growth of startup valuations versus FAMGA over the past decade. What you can see in it is that Facebook, since its 2012 IPO, and Amazon have both smoked startup valuation growth at every stage, and only later stage valuations, Series E and beyond, have grown faster than Microsoft or Apple. Google, on the other hand, has been a slow grower, and it hasn't even quadrupled over the time period. Looking at average U.S. startup valuations versus both Apple and Amazon's market caps paints an even clearer picture. Early stage startups, seed Series A, Series B, are actually worth less as a percentage of Apple's market cap than they were a decade ago. Later stage companies have grown their valuations relative to Apple, especially in the past few years, but the average series devaluation is still only one-tenth of 1% 1 of Apple's market cap. Startups at every single stage are worth less of Amazon on average than they were a decade ago. With lower discount rates over the past year, it makes sense that spreads would compress. Startups' hypothetical cash flows are further in the future than the FAMGAs, so the lower the discount rate, the more startup cash flows will be worth relative to FAMGAs. As Will Fang put it when we were discussing the idea, he said, quote, when the discount rate is near zero, time value isn't really a thing anymore, so it's not a matter of when company X can win, but if it will eventually. It also makes sense that the late stage is catching up more quickly than the earlier stage. At the later stages, there's a clearer picture of who will win and a clearer line of sight into what the winner's cash flows might be than for earlier stage companies. There are also fewer later stage companies, and their averages aren't dragged down by as many low probability of success companies as earlier stage valuations. Averages are obviously imprecise, but they paint a pretty clear picture here. You can abstract away a lot of the complexity by thinking about startup valuations as the probability that they can grow as large as Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, or Google. The higher the valuations of the biggest tech companies, the higher potential valuation of any startup. Take Clubhouse, for example, which recently valued, was recently valued at $1 billion before earning a dollar. Hello, bubble, am I right? Nope. $1 billion means that investors are pricing in a 1 in 770 shot that it can become the next Facebook, a 1 in 100 shot it's the next stat, or a 1 in 50 shot it's the next Twitter. Adding credence to the price to FAMGA methodology, FAMGA haven't only proved that companies can get really big from a market cap perspective, but also that their eventual success isn't clear from looking at early financials. 
Facebook and Amazon's financials look silly early on. Facebook not monetizing for a long time, Amazon intentionally keeping itself unprofitable, but their strategies have been proven right in the long term. Facebook was once a laughed at $98 million Series A with no revenue back in 2005 when $98 million was a lot, but look at it now. Lack of revenue or profits can't be a disqualifying signal as long as there's a, central, a sensible plan to get there eventually. Plus, entrepreneurs now have the benefit of seeing both how those companies executed and how they've talked about themselves, so they know the right things to say and do. Plus, plus, the tools are better now, so it's easier to get bigger, quicker than it was for any of the Famca companies. This also works within verticals. Valuations can be viewed as the probability that the company becomes as large as the largest company in the space. That explains why some verticals get hot when its biggest companies break out, like Stripe and FinTech or API First or SpaceX and SpaceTech. Within a given space, most companies will fetch lower than average valuations, reflecting a lower than average probability that they'll get massive, and a few will fetch much higher valuations, reflecting their higher probability. That makes sense and explains the wide range of valuations within any given round. Some companies have a much higher probability of reaching FAMGA or best-in-class status than others. Case studies, Stripe and Shopify. The averages let us know that we're on the right track, but looking at specifics within all that data drives the point home. One example is Twitter, which I wrote about last week. I hadn't fleshed out this idea as fully, but wrote about the dumb idea that Twitter had a lot of room to run simply because other major tech companies, particularly Facebook, are worth more than 10 times as much. The next day, it reported good earnings. The stock is up 26.6% since I hit send, because the narrative started to change and investors started dreaming about its potential relative to Facebook's. Time will tell if it gets there. Let's take a look at two more, Stripe and Shopify. Stripe. Stripe illustrates how valuation in this market is dreams all the way up, because its ceiling is impacted by the very biggest companies, and it, in turn, impacts the ceiling of API-first and fintech companies at earlier stages. Stripe is rumored to have raised at a $100 billion valuation recently, and rumors of secondary market transactions in the $125 to $150 billion price range abound. Most people I've spoken to about it don't know what Stripe's numbers look like. Instead, they're saying things like, there's a very good chance this is a $1 trillion plus dollar company, the next FAMG. So even if $150 billion feels expensive today, this could 8 to 15x. Stripe is kind of in a league of its own, without a perfect comp among FAMG, but similar in that it has, this could become the biggest company in the world, mystique around it. The biggest company in the world today is Apple at a $2.27 trillion market cap. That is a high ceiling. Even if it's just Visa, with its $448 billion market cap, that's a 3x. With Stripe as an anchor, API-first startups are raising at big valuations. In November 2020, Checker, which is an API-first background check company, raised at a $2.2 billion post-money valuation. In January, Check, which is building a payroll-as-a-service API, just came out of stealth and raised a $35 million Series B, led by Stripe itself and Thrive which likely values it somewhere near $300 million post-money. Those feel high for their rounds, but translate to a 1 in 45 chance that Checker achieves what Stripe has just to date, and a 1 in 8 chance that Check achieves what Checker has, with some slight discount for time. Those seem like reasonable bets to make, given that they're two massive, perfect API-first use cases, of which there aren't many, run by strong, experienced teams with great early traction. 
I'd rather invest in Checker and Check than 10 cheaper but worse API-first companies. You get what you pay for. Shopify and Amazon. Shopify's relationship with Amazon is a textbook example of price-to-fam good valuation. Since going public in May 2015, Shopify's stock is up over 5,000%. It's currently trading at a 60x next 12 months EV to revenue multiple and a 395.7x next 12 months to PE ratio. Those are both very high numbers if you're valuing Shopify based on the fundamentals. And indeed, Shopify has felt expensive at almost every point on its meteoric rise since late 2018. Side note, just for listeners only, I actually owned a bunch of Shopify shares back in kind of 2017, and as it rose, I sold a bunch off. That was a huge mistake. I made a chart back in May to describe what it's felt like thinking about investing in Shop. At almost every point on the graph, it's like, ah, I missed it, I missed it, I missed it. And it just keeps going up. Since I made that chart, it's up another 90%. Crazy, right? But what if you look at Shop's valuation as a probability that it will become as big as Amazon? Breaking apart Shop's valuation that way, there are two factors. How much has Amazon grown? And how much has the probability that Shopify becomes as big as Amazon changed? Amazon market cap. Over the past five years, Amazon has grown its market cap 6.7x, from $245 billion to $1.65 trillion. Probability that Shop becomes Amazon. The implied probability that Shopify becomes Amazon, based on their relative market caps, has increased from 0.68% to 10.76%, not taking into account the fact that Amazon is likely to continue to get bigger as Shop catches up. Let's assume Amazon's future growth and the discount rate come out in the wash, which is conservative and we're left with an 11% chance that Shopify becomes as big as Amazon. If you believe that Amazon is fairly valued, and that an 11% chance of Shopify becoming Amazon is reasonable, then Shopify's market cap isn't as crazy as it seems from looking only at traditional valuation metrics. Onwards and upwards. There's a trope going around that since companies are raising more earlier at higher valuations, investors need to sit out or sacrifice returns by ignoring price to get into the hottest deals. After digging into the numbers, I just don't think that's true. The ceiling for these companies, as represented by the market caps of the biggest tech companies, is 5 to 15 times higher than it was a decade ago. And should FAMGA keep growing, that ceiling may be 5 to 15 times higher in another decade. As I've been thinking about the idea, the house from the Pixar movie Up keeps coming to mind. Startups and smaller cap tech companies are the old man's house. FAMGA are the balloons and Apple breaking the $1 trillion market cap threshold was the moment the house ripped away from its foundations and took flight. The balloons in the house keep floating higher, in lockstep. It makes sense for balloons to float. It feels weird for a house to float. But when you put the two together, the physics kind of work. That said, the averages obscure the specifics, and this is different from company to company and vertical to vertical. Some areas that feel expensive are actually probably cheap, held back by psychological barriers investing at prices that just feel too high, while other areas might be bubbles even if the prices are lower. Some balloons will undoubtedly pop. Take electric vehicles, a category in which there seems to be a new multi-billion dollar SPAC every day. The category will certainly grow, but the prices seem wild since they're tied to the Tesla balloon. Tesla is a great company that may grow into its valuation, but at current multiples, it's not as solid an anchor as FAMG. Even if Tesla's price proves to be right, some companies will win and some will lose, as always. But deals are pricing as if they're all going to win. Nikola continu continuing to trade at an $8 billion market cap seems way out of whack. Bubbly. Or take GameStop. 
which was trading on memes or any number of penny stocks that rocket up 200% in a day. Those are micro-bubbles, and I'm not arguing that they fit into this framework. But bubbles like Nikola, GameStop, and penny stocks seem to be contained mispricings of the probability of success, or downright speculation, as opposed to systemic overvaluation. There's a very real chance that as FAMGA continues to grow, we don't have a major market correction so much as micro-adjustments of each company's probability of reaching the top. We'll see more companies that raised at higher valuations fail than ever before, but we'll also see more companies reach the $100 billion and $1 trillion marks than ever before. Venture returns follow a power law, and that may become more extreme in the coming years. Then again, I might look back on this essay with shame in a few years. The market could cool off or pop, FAM could, could re-rate at lower multiples typically enjoyed by the world's largest companies, and both public and private tech company valuations could get slashed. I expect you to call me out if that happens. As for how to apply this, there's not an easy framework to judge the probability that company X becomes the next Amazon. This isn't precise. It's more of a sense check the next time you find yourself thinking, it's a bubble, or it's competitive out there, so people are sacrificing returns to get into hot deals or buy some growth. Maybe there isn't a trade-off between sitting out and being disciplined on price so much as a reframing of what being disciplined on price means. So that's all for today. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll be back on Thursday to talk about a way to invest in some of these earlier stage tech companies. Talk to you then.